Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, and welcome to Everything is Fine, a podcast for women over 40. We are your hosts. I'm Kim France. And I'm Jen Romolini. And Jen, how are you doing today? Doing all right. You know, I mean, shit's going on in my life. Real adult shit's going on that for once I don't don't want to talk about on the podcast. But yeah, there's some, it's weird being a fucking grown up. I really feel yeah, like I was not a grown up until 50 years old. I think I turned, a, a, I became a grown up this year. Well, because things happen and you're like, okay, now I'm irrefutably a grown up. Now I'm irrefutably a grown up. Isn't that ridiculous? I have, I didn't realize how much I've been living my life as a frivolous fuck. Like I really didn't, you know, just play it fast and loose with like, you know, an old bill. Being like, I'm not paying that $19 to that to that health insurance. They should have figured that out. You know, just like yeah. how immature I am, you know, and and like suddenly like life changes and you're like, oh shit, I gotta, I gotta grow up. And what, you know, what am I modeling for this for this young adult that lives in my house? And how am I, you know, showing up as a daughter and a sibling? And god damn it, fucking not fun. No, it's not fun. And it's, I mean, part of it is also, it's not just like I'm a grown up. It's like, oh, I'm an old. Yes. Yes. It is like I'm, I'm an, an old. old. Now I'm the oldest person in the elevator. I'm the oldest person waiting in this line. I'm the oldest, you know, you can go on and on and on. Totally. Totally. Um, the sound on this is going to be bad because my mic just went out again. Um, I do have a topic that I really want to discuss with you. Um, which is unusual for me. Let me say this is my first experience with this franchise, I believe. Um, but I am currently obsessed with The Golden Bachelor. Yes. I think it is the best version of this show that's ever happened, even though I have no knowledge. I've like tried. I've tried The Bachelor, okay? This season of The Bachelor with old older people who are not in it necessarily for like youthful fame, you know, they're not like, Oh, mm -hmm. how's this going to help my influencer status? You know, 
And also everybody is grieving something. There's a lot of grief on the show. And Gary mm-hmm. is a fucking mess. Gary, yeah, as, is. as I predicted early on, Gary has just like caught so many feelings and is just not cut out for this shit. And anyway, I can't, I'm obsessed with it. Have you watched it? Of course I've watched it. Yes, I've okay. watched it. And I never watched a bachelor show before. I like, all I know is that they give out roses. That's, that's, that was right. And I didn't even know how they gave them out. Honestly, I didn't understand how they were even given me neither. So watching the show for the first time was like a shock, (laughs) you know, because it's like, wait, they do this on TV. Like, you know, the Gary's waiting outside of the house and the limos pull up with all the women in them. And each time he's like, Wow. Yes. I mean, like, does this happen? Is this real life? It's crazy. It's kind of, it's really kind of gross. Like the whole premise, like, okay, look at us two, two bachelor virgins. Um, the whole premise of it is repulsive. Like that Horrible. he just has this harem. It is disgusting. <laughs> it's really gross. And the way it, auto, you know, it automatically pits the women against each other. But at the beginning, at least they try to be really nice to each other. And it's really painful to watch. Yes, yes. I mean, I do think these older women are being nicer to each other in general. There's less like scheming and manipulation. Yeah, I find it I find it hard to watch because I can't believe it exists. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And I, I do. get and I get what you're saying about it being the most the most compelling, you know, episode version. of it, season, season yeah. of it or version. Um but it just like I can't believe that people do that and it it makes me sad when you when you listen to what some of the women say you know like after some time with gary they're like this is the happiest i've been since my husband died this is the happiest i've and and and, and, and it's like no don't let it be the happiest you've been let something else be i know i know and that the emphasis is is even in late in life i mean it's manufactured but that the emphasis late in life is that this is still the ultimate goal is to find right. a find a man. And I keep thinking, like, would I want to be with Gary? Like, Gary would fucking annoy me. Well, that was the other thing. When the women all meet him for the first time, they say, I've been dreaming of this. I saw you on Good Morning America. My heart swelled. It's like, I, I just... It makes me so physically uncomfortable. I'm physically uncomfortable too. And the the dates I, and like, and then he's like, they're like getting dressed up like Cinderella to meet him. And then they're on a hot air balloon. And, but also the fact that Gary is just making out with all of them. I find yeah. very disturbing as just like a thing. Like, I don't know. Do they do it? Like, is that what happens when he gets down to like three? Do they just start fucking they, like, and it's based on that. Yeah. Is he just, he start like, He's about to do the home visits. In two episodes, he's going to be going to their hometowns and meeting their families and their kids and shit. See, I just can't believe this exists. I I mean, Kim, it's been around for like 40 years. <laughs> I'm aware of that. I'm aware of that. But I just, I never, it just, I never had, and it's not like I'm above all reality television. No, me that, neither. That just, uh, the way that it puts the women in a pack of like kind of, you know, there's something just really distasteful about it. Like you said, just, yeah, there is. And then like, they're all waiting there. Like, it's almost like when you're getting picked for a team on gym class, like they're all just waiting to be picked. It like, it makes me, it, it turns my fucking stomach. And also like how, I mean, like, of course they're all dressed sexy, but like, it's just, 
it's just like, uh, like the way they have to be dressed for him. And it reminds me of something I was told once, which is that backstage at like heavy metal rock shows, there will be a room with like groupies in it, hanging out, staring at their phones and they call it the lobster tank. Oh no. Yeah. And that's what it makes me think of the lobster tank. Well, right. I mean, and you know, and if you extend this thought out, like I think about, you know, all of the uh, the stories about Leonardo DiCaprio and how he has sex with women, how he, how he keeps his headphones on the whole time. They call I've him like head, too. yeah. So he keeps his headphones on, and they're not they're not even facing him. And I mean, it's all like of a piece of the same thing. Like you know, the desperation to fuck Leonardo DiCaprio, like that you will just you will just basically be a sex doll for him like that. You know, it's all kind of, of, of a piece and it, it is disturbing to watch it. There, there's something both heartwarming about what I do feel is his earnest desire to find a partner and these women's earnest desire to find a partner late in life. Mm -hmm. And the, that, that sort of loneliness and being like, I, I would like to be in love again. I would like to be touched again, you know, all of that. So there's, there's that part, but the larger fucking franchise is just, I think so damaging and so like perpetuating like these these horrible like ideas around partnership being like the most important thing and finding a man still being like the ultimate prize yep so yeah i've not been psyched about it um do you have any recommendations this week besides golden bachelor no i wish i did i wish i had a wreck i don't have a wreck this week all right, I have a wreck. I have found a new beauty brand. It is a it is an inexpensive um Italian drugstore. I think it's Italian drugstore because it's it's inexpensive like it would be in a drugstore. It's called Kiko, a K-I-K-O. And honestly, they make the best little lip things I've ever like come across. They're like really and they're like they're like 12 bucks. Cute. And they're these really cute lip things. And then they have the very saturated versions um, that go on glossy, but actually then come out matte and they mm -hmm. stay on. It's called it's called Lasting Matte Veil by Kiko Milano. It's not just Kiko, it's Kiko Milano. And it's it's my favorite, it's my favorite new beauty brand. So that and Merit are my two high recs for um for good uh, beauty products this week. That's all I got. Yeah, I want to try that. I want to try that Merit mascara you were talking about. The Merit before. mascara is incredible. And also their concealer stick is incredible. The eyeshadow is good. I mean, I think, no offense, Jones Road, but I think that Merit really gives it a run for its money. I think it's around the same price point, maybe even a little cheaper. And every product I've tried from Merit has been amazing. Um, but on that note... We should get into this excellent episode with Emily Flake. Second time on the show, Emily Flake. I'm so glad we got to meet her. She is a hero of mine. I love following her on social media. If you don't follow Emily Flake on social media, you should. She's really fun. She's fantastic. And this is a fun episode. Should we get into it? Let's get into it. Our guest today is Emily Flake. Emily's cartoons, essays, and illustrations have appeared in the New York Times, McSweeney's, the Wall Street Journal, and the Globe and Mail, and many other publications. She also began cartooning for The New Yorker in 2008 and has had more than 100 cartoons published in the magazine. 
Her most recent project, Joke in a Box, How to Write and Draw Jokes, was just released. Emily is also the founder of St. Nell's Humor Residency, which is open to women, non-binary people, and other people of marginalized genders working in any humor-related field. Welcome, Emily. I don't know why that was such a mouthful for me. No, you did. You did the thing. (laughs) I did it. I did it. Um, So before we get into talking about our next, which is what you and I mainly DM about these days, Mm -hmm. um, I want to make sure that we discuss your new project, Joke in a Box, which is really cool. Can you tell listeners what it is and how it came to be? Sure. Um, So it's a creativity deck, which sounds very like new agey. Um, but it's essentially a how to, um, write jokes, um, and make them into like single panel gag cartoons, like New Yorker style cartoons. Um, my hope is that the advice in it is useful for joke writing across any discipline, but it is set up in a box because part of, part of the, the, um, deck is like images and other things that you can pull out to sort of like give yourself little prompts. So it's kind of Mm -hmm. modular that way. And also this is a very like weird personal thing, but like, I don't keep a sketchbook. I keep a clipboard. Um, and I think that like, I just wanted something that sort of went with that clipboard aesthetic where it's like, it's not Mm -hmm. bound together. It's just like, you know, it's just pages that you can kind of like deal with one at a time. Yeah. 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 Totally. It's more fun. It seems more fun. I find bound matter very intimidating. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It is. It's kind of like why I kind of don't, I hate hardcover books. I'd so much rather have like a soft, like I really don't like to have like a hard, it feels, it feels very intimidating. I think that that's true. Um, so wait, but why did you want to do this? Like, what, I mean, I feel like you do a million things. That was our next question. Like, you're just a creativity machine. Jesus. <laughs> no, I'm really no, but you are. But what I'm learning is that nobody thinks they really are when they're being successful in the eyes of other people. Because when I try to tell Jen that it looks like she had a really good year, mm-hmm. she's always like, nah. I'm like, I'm a loser. No, because we see the 90% of our time that we waste, you know, it, doing like self-recrimination exercises and staring at our phones. So if you ask me what I do most of the day, I'd say self-loathing and the internet. So, <laughs> and, and Instagram. Career. No, it's not. It's not. It's not self-loathing and comparing. It's yeah. really not. A, it's no. not a career. Um, but you know, but you do. Okay. But wait, so why? Okay. But wait, back to my original question. Why, yeah. why, why joke in a box? Um, because I, I, Really, I really like writing self-help books. Um, I honestly, even just as like ways to sort of like get over like the fear and loathing hump, mm-hmm. I like them. I've benefited from them. And I I think that most creative advice really boils down to like a couple core truths. Um, but I, I, I've been teaching this workshop that I called Joke in a Box for years mm-hmm. um, in various different like forms. And so I had these like lectures that I always thought would go nicely into this kind of, you know, format. And luckily a publisher agreed. (laughs) But wait, so there's a, there's a card in here that says, what if I'm not funny? Mm -hmm. And I was wondering about that. Like, do you think that everybody's funny? No. (laughs) (laughs) Can you you teach somebody to be funny or to be funnier? I think you can teach somebody to work that muscle. Um, I think if you are, 
somebody who is like by your nature, um, if, if temperamentally like uh, wired to see the world through a humor, through a humoristic like lens, or if you just are not even lens, just if your approach to the world is primarily like joke based or like you want to find the humor in something, I think those are are like inborn characteristics, but like, you know, an ability to run fast can be inherent, but if you don't like exercise, then you won't, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think it can be, it can be developed. I think a sense of humor can be developed and like a craft can be learned. I think if you are inherently not wired towards humor or jokes, then it just might not be for you. And that's not like like a judgment call. It's like, you know, I can't really sing. Yeah. So. Right. No, I think that's so interesting. I, I remember because some people just don't have a sense of humor. I really do. And it's always shocking to me when I come upon these people. Mm-hmm. I remember I was taking notes from somebody uh, on a script a couple of years ago and I had some good jokes in it, whatever. But like this woman was like, that's so funny. Like that was her, that was her reaction to comedy. She was like, I can see that it's funny. Huh? And every time she said it, I just wanted, like, I just like withered more and more because people who don't have a sense of humor, there's something, there's something so intimidating about them Mm -hmm. to me, you know, (laughs) because they don't need to laugh and they'd also don't need to be liked because I feel like that's so much of comedy, you know, 100%. But maybe she had a sense of humor and that was her sense of humor. Maybe she was laughing really hard on the inside. <laughs> Again, intimidating because doesn't need doesn't need to like even have that like conversational like, oh, right. you see me laughing. I'm laughing. I'm doing this for you. Like whatever that is, that neediness. No. Well, one of the uses of humor is as a so like a social lubricant. And these people who yeah. can just like, you know, like just go in there like no lube, just dry balling it like oof. Those are <laughs> terrifying people. Yeah, no, it's true. I want to ask. I want. I want to ask you a question. How? How is? How? What are the best things about being an artist over forty? Oh, that's a really. <laughs> that's a really good question. Um. Huh. I don't know. I feel like I should be able to say something like, "I just don't give a fuck anymore." Yeah, like, <laughs> no. I mean, like, I feel like. I feel like I'm having all the same conversations with myself that I always had, except I'm doing it in a baggier skin suit. So <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, yeah, I don't, I think that, you know, if I can pull back enough objectively to look at my career, I can be like, all right, I guess I have done something. I'm not an ingenue anymore. I'm right. way too old, but It's, yeah, it's, I don't know if there's, if I would say there's like things that I can pinpoint that like are better being an artist over 40 than, or you know, or or in anything over 40 that that was like, you know, an improvement. Um, I am marginally less ridiculous than I was, Mm -hmm. you know, in my twenties and thirties, um, you know, but yeah, that's, ma'am. what a terrible answer to that question. <laughs> no, well, it's, but if I ask you, what's, what's the hardest part of being an artist over 40, do you have an answer? Oh, sure. Um, I feel like, um, there's a few answers to that question. I think one is the ever like looming, like, you know, 
are people still going to want to listen to what I have to say? You know, like it will, yeah. will I still have an audience? Will I still be, you know, considered in any way relevant? relevant? Yeah. Does my career have a, an expiration date? You know, like, you know, can I walk into a room and like, you know, a, an industry party and will people even want to talk to me? Yeah. There's, you know, a feeling that I have of just like profound regret over like having not really not had my shit together at all, like for so many years, you know, um, I think there's a lot of, for me personally, there's a lot of sort of like, you know, revision and, and like self-reckoning going on, um, which may lead to better things. Who knows? I mean, you know, maybe, (laughs) but yeah, it's, um, the feeling of, of time having materially changed and my place in the world being different um, is, is an interesting one. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think we all have, we all feel that very much that, that feeling of um, do they know I'm old? Do they, you know, like, do they, do they, are they, are they clocking that? Um, Mm -hmm. But I wonder if an experience that I've had as an older person creating things is, I feel like I know what's good now. Mm. I know what's good of my work. I wonder if you had, like, I didn't have any idea if I was good, if I was bad. I didn't know how to place myself, which created a lot of anxiety and a lot mm-hmm. of angst. And I wonder if through your experience of, of working as an artist, you can now look at something and say, oh, that's good. Like, is there is there more of a satisfaction in that way? I think so. I mean, I think, you know, I, I tend to like things that I've done better after I have some distance from it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think gaining a, like a little perspective on your work is helpful. You know, I think that I have realized over you know, the past 10 years or so that like, I am a better writer than I am a drawer. And I also have like a lot less baggage concerning it. Cause it's yeah. not what I went to school for. It's not, you know, it's a different, it's, it's a different struggle. Um, and I think I'm more clear eyed about my writing than I am my, um, artwork, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can look at something and be like, all right, this is working. This isn't working. And it doesn't feel like as much of a, uh, an internal like cycle of damnation. <laughs> of yeah. course. Yeah. Yeah. What do you do? So you're a mom, right? Mm-hmm. And how and you have a you know life and and all of these things and we're all going through getting older how do you stay creatively sparked and inspired with times when you're feeling exhausted from daily life mm. or do um, you right yeah <laughs> in my better moments um and this is advice that i give too that i do not always take um you know i i think pulling myself into a situation where I have to have an emotion is helpful, you know, like, like watching a very, even like a very sad movie, something that like, something that makes me have an emotional reaction is, Mm -hmm. is very helpful. And I really do get a lot out of reading, you know, like books about creativity just to get my head back in the game. Mm -hmm. Uh, Linda Berry. uh, Linda Berry has some really very, Yeah. Just wonderful, incredibly like, you know, emotionally true and great. Uh, I mean, she's, she is a hero of mine from, you know, I've been trying to get her on the show 
Oh man, <laughs> I've, I've been trying. It's, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a hard chase, but yes, I've been yeah. trying because she seems amazing, yeah. but yeah. No, she's out there, you know, in Wisconsin, just, you know, living her, living her life. It's amazing. Um, but like, um, the triggering town, uh, is it Richard Hugo? Um, yeah. it's, it's about poetry, but even that's like a very helpful, a, a very helpful book. Um, this is so embarrassingly on brand, but like Nick Cave's red hand files, um, have <laughs> uh, really great creative advice in there. It's a, this web basic. He somebody called him the cuddly goth dear Abby, which oh, it's so <laughs> incredibly true. But he gives like wonderful life and creative advice. So yeah, I mean, if I can find it in me to like not just succumb to like the sad morass, then you yeah, know, like just just point like basically like trying to reconnect with like some sort of emotion is uh generally a way that can like pull me out of it now speaking of heroes um you're friends with ross chast the great mm -hmm. cartoonist ross chast and you guys have worked together what was it like to i would imagine that she was a hero for you oh yeah what was what has it been like to befriend her and collaborate with her a joy um just a joy and a privilege i mean she's also just like so funny and fun and lovely to be around like she's a mean funny drunk um uh, <laughs> like she's not a drunk like, like when she has yes, been drinking yes, she gets yes. yeah and um just she is so absolutely like who she is yeah. in a way that isn't like arrogant or like or demanding or anything it's just she is just i mean and i she might feel differently about this but i just feel like she's just through and through Roz chast yeah um, and everything that emanates from her like is just is just part of this rawness that i uh, adore so and it and she's like fun to work with and you know and i you know i i love her i would argue that you have a similar emily flakeness I don't know how to take that compliment, but thank you. It's <laughs> <laughs> a compliment. Yeah, no, no, I know. I, I, uh, it is a wonderful compliment, which is why I'm having such trouble absorbing it. <laughs> Let's take a quick break from some ads. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And we're back. Okay, but wait. Okay, so this brings me to a question: Where are we? Where are you with confidence these days? Like, what? How's your How's your confidence? You're in your forties, right? Uh huh. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's. I don't know. That's an ever shifting um, target. It's It's a real up and down kind of thing. And I also, yeah. and this is something that kind of goes back to the how do you recharge situation too. You know, I've been, I, I. I sort of travel, have traveled in comedy circles, like for the past 20 years and I do some comedy and I do stage stuff. Um, and the, the rush of that is, is, you know, even if it's a bad night is also a way to sort of like clear out the junk in my head. Um, yeah. and the community of it, just, you know, being, being like being at a show and like hanging out with people is very, um, you know, bolsters like the, my reason for wanting to do any of this. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting because I, this is really only in the past few years, I'm now starting to have like people who I consider close friends who are younger than me. Um, and my friends have always been like my age or older. And that's, so this yeah. is, that's been a very interesting, like, you know, perspective shift, but confidence wise. Yeah. It really goes up and down. I don't think I am materially more or less confident than I was 20 years ago. I think I, I do think I, I know more um, about myself in the world than I did when I was in my twenties, but I think I take a longer view of it and like long, a long view in the sense that like, I, I know that this world will be a dead cinder someday. So yeah, <laughs> so really it's fine. All of this is fine. But I, it seems so amazing to me to hear you talking. It doesn't really, because so many successful women do. But yeah. the thing, like you just willed a um, writer's retreat or an artist community into being, basically. Mm. Mm. Like that, that, those, that's something that people with some sense of who they are. I mean, I definitely, like, I think also... Um, I do think I'm lucky, you know, like I got very lucky with that, with that situation. Um, and I think I sort of, you know, hit on the concept for it, for it and like went for the Kickstarter in a, like at a time when people kind of needed something that felt more like something that they could do that was also like for joy. Um, yeah. I, I ran that Kickstarter to run the down payment for this house in like October, 2020. So it was like, you know, we were well into the pandemic. There was a, you know, presidential election coming up. And I think people were like, Oh, here's a small, nice thing that I can do. Yeah. <laughs> and I think people really like resonated with the fact that like, Oh, you do need time and space to work. I mean, really part of that whole situation came about because like I had a straight, like, I was just like, I don't have, I mean, like, we're all just like in our apartment. Yeah. Um, I wasn't getting anything done. I couldn't think of anything like, you know, um, you know, my daughter is a, a lovely, but she was in like second grade at the time. And I'm like, I can't be school. Yeah, <laughs> no, I can't be school is a huge one. 
I, yeah. I mean, it's still a huge, it's still a huge, a huge thing. No, it's funny just combining those things of like scorched earth and the parenting. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's so hard just raising this generation in this world, the sort of bleakness of it. And then also having to be like, but homework's important. Right. <laughs> you know, I just am finding that to be a, I, I, you've, you, You've talked, you've gone to some pretty dark places in your work about parenthood. Is that, Mm -hmm. has putting that work in the world made you feel vulnerable? Has it feel like, how do you feel about talking about, you know, your personal life and your work, I guess, instead of just narrowing down to parenting? I think, I I do think that something that I have, I don't know if it's a strength or just a, a fact, is that there's very little I consider something about myself that I wouldn't talk about mm-hmm. um, essentially because I feel like so many times I've, I've put something out and some people don't like it, but some people are like, I really needed to hear that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I figure, you know, I'm not so special that whatever like is happening in my head, isn't something that's going on in somebody else's head too. <laughs> I feel this. I feel exactly the same way. I, I mean, it is vulnerable making when you, if you actually consider all the people in the world and how much information you're giving them, but I, I, it's never, it comes so reflexively to me that it's never really been the thing I think about too much, oh, you know? Yeah. I mean, like, you know, over, over sharing is a superpower. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, even just, like like the act of giving birth I think had something to do with that you know like just the like you know the complete loss of any kind of like auton- like modesty or or autonomy in that moment I think was instructive yeah in in a bunch of different ways yeah what yeah. I'm saying is I will get naked in front of anybody and I don't care anymore. <laughs> uh-huh. But you you do, I mean, you make yourself vulnerable repeatedly in your work, mm-hmm. you know, the, and, 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 and sh- I think that is what, what resonates for people because we may all be having the same thoughts, but we can't all express the same thoughts in a way that really, you know, rings mm-hmm. true for other people. But I wanted to talk about Freefall, which was a comic of yours that was published during COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, when you, you write about all of your, um, your friends moving away mm-hmm. and it went pretty viral. What do you think people were responding to there? I think we all just felt like certain bedrock assumptions about the world had been pulled away from us, you know, and people, especially, you know, like white middle-class Americans, you know, who had a certain, like, set of expectations about the world that we're given. But I also think that's just everybody because like, you know, no matter where you are on the socioeconomic spectrum, like the, a pandemic was new and this kind of, this sense of, of a new, of a of kind of person, of a, a possibility of, you know, uh, chaos and maybe the grownups really aren't in charge. I think, um, is something that like we hadn't sort of collectively felt maybe for uh, like, you know, I, I don't know how people felt during, you know, during Vietnam or World War II. It was it, it was an unfamiliar and dislocating experience. But it was definitely the first time in human history where we were all forced to be alone, but also could put our brains into the cloud and deal with, you know, both not enough contact and way too much contact. Right. And I think that might have permanently broken us. 
Yeah. And our, and our kids, sorry, but yeah, our, yeah. our poor kids, when I think of those years lost for the kids, mm-hmm. um, how, like when you're a really self-aware person and you're a person who's creative and sensitive, all of the things that I, I sense that you are, um, you can go to really dark places. How do you find lightness in your life? Because I don't know you very well, but I, I see your I see you and I see you. I see lightness in you. How do you find that lightness? I think it's because I, I truly am like evangelical about the use of humor. And, you know, when people are like, like, you know, satire will save the world. It won't, but it'll make the end a little easier to bear. Um, You know, just like the whole, like, you know, leavening, levity, leavening, lightening, you know, um, you know, it's, I really do think that it is, um, crucial to, to, to my existence, to be able to, you know, to be able to laugh at, at the, just the absurdity of everything. And I think it also, again, it kind of like pulls you out of the immediate, like raw situation and gives you something to stand on so that you can see it better. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's hard to joke about something without understanding it first. Does right. that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. yeah of so course. I think, I think there's always like a little, but, and I think also, and I'm sure you both have this too, just as, as, as people who like write or make art or do anything, I think there's always a track in your brain of how can I use this? Oh my God. I was going to say that 10 minutes ago in this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 I feel sick at myself often. Like I can't believe how, like I'm going through a very hard time right now and I cannot believe how much I'm cataloging the material. Yeah. <laughs> I am like, what is wrong with me? <laughs> Jennifer Romolini, I have this conversation. I've been having this conversation with myself my whole oh, life. Oh my God. <laughs> Kim, go. Yes. No, I was just going to say, what did Nora Ephron say? It's all material. Uh, everything is copy. Everything is copy. Everything is copy. Yeah. I know, but doesn't it just feel like you're a shithead? No. Like- <laughs> We're monsters. We are <laughs> monsters. <laughs> But no, I was this this like art monster thing. I was thinking because there's a really there's a book coming out that I'm very curious about called Art Monster coming out. Ooh, soon. I but anyway, read that too. I really want to read it and I need to contact that author because I want to get around. But I've really been thinking about this and I've been thinking, is storytelling a defense mechanism that I built early in myself? Mm-hmm. That that has been a way that I process pain because it's a way to dissociate, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just, and that's why it's the only way I can let myself off the hook for the fact that when my most painful moments, I'm like, that will be such a good detail for fucking later. Yeah. Like, it's the only way to let my, to be, to give myself graces to think, oh, this is obviously a defense mechanism, but it happens to also be what I do for a living. Right. But it's also a defense mechanism that you can use to help other people. Right. In the, you know, I mean, art is how we make sense of the world, you know, and, you know, and put it into into like take control of that raw material and put it into into something that that makes sense and makes other people feel seen. Exactly. I do think it's a defense mechanism and I do think it's it's like a coping mechanism and yeah. The, yeah, I mean, I guess that's something about getting older. I now sort of just accept that that is part of how I'm built. Um, whereas, you know, when I was younger, you know, like 
there, there was a couple of things that happened where I was like, this is, I mean, like that were legitimate tragedies. And there was part of me who was like, this is interesting. Yeah. Yes. Like this, There's like, like, yes. But I just, I don't see the problem. I don't see the problem. <laughs> yeah. Well, because normies who aren't thinking that everything is interesting, <laughs> normies are like present and like, I, I don't know. I, I guess in my mind, there's like some... There's some like ideal person who's like having a pure presence and experience and uh-huh. feeling connected to the experience. And I guess that I'm not disconnected from it, but I'm so hyper observant of the details right. and I know I'm logging them. Okay. Maybe there's that person, but do you want to be friends with that person? That person sounds no. boring. That person says, <laughs> that's so funny. That is that person. Yeah. Like, <laughs> And I mean, the art monster thing too. I mean, like I, I sometimes feel like guilty that like, I've never, I've never had the monstrousness in me to be like, I don't need friends. I don't need a family. I don't need kids. All I need is my art. You know, like I have never had that single-minded, you know, purpose, um, at all. So, you know, I guess if I can at least be a little monstrous in my understanding of everything that happens to or around me as something I can use, then at least I have like one thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, because the truth is if I really, if I let the full art monster go, I would be so much more selfish. My work would be so much better because I just would tell everything. It wouldn't even be, you know, there wouldn't, there wouldn't be a filter of care uh, uh, for other people. So I guess, I guess I could, I guess I could be more monstrous. I guess we all could. So that's the that there we go there's the good one mm-hmm. <laughs> um we have we have more questions i don't know how we got off an art monster go ahead kim ask a question um okay here's one um i'm curious how like how your ideas come to you like i was reading your mcsweeney's piece about timothy chalamet getting upset because um Chris Rock and Will Smith stole his moment at the Oscars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, if I had just read your headline, which was hilarious, it would have been more effective. But mm-hmm. I thought like, okay, was Emily Flake just sitting there and she thought that immediately like, oh, poor Timmy Chalamet, they stole his moment. Or is it more of a gradual thing? Um, sometimes those things just like are given to me, like from whatever like idea pool exists in the ether um, immediately. But, and sometimes I'm like, I think like, okay, here's something people are talking about. What is an angle on it that I'm not seeing? Or like, what is an interesting or funny kind of like perspective I could, I could have on this. And it just struck me as very funny if like Timothy Chalamet was just going to be salty because he was going to do this whole thing. (laughs) Especially (laughs) wearing his backless top. (laughs) 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 Um, What inspires you? Hmm. You, do you mean like like in terms of art or or writing or um, or life stuff um, or all of yes, that? Yes, yes, like uh, all yes. of that. But all of it. Um, I am I am really inspired by people who I feel like are are telling the truth, and uh, and I mean one of the things that I I I do strive for is is a lightness that acknowledges like the, uh, the darkness and heaviness of things, you know, like, I don't think I necessarily need like every comedy special I watch to be Nanette. Like, you know, um, sometimes, sometimes I straight up want dumb shit, you know, like I, I am very 
you know, I don't hide the fact that I, I, I also love Burt Kreischer. Sometimes you just need some very dumb stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I like it when there is like an unspoken thread of just love, it, like in all of its sort of like rueful and messy kind of like, oh, we're such fucking garbage. Oh, like, yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. And you know, I, I, I feel like that, that feeling is sort of my North star and something that I find myself responding to in, in the things that I like to like read or, or watch or, or go to. Who's a yeah. comedian you really admire? Ooh, um, there are, there's, there are a lot. Um, and you know, because I live, I'm going to basically, I'm going to name check some friends. Yeah. Go um, but like uh, my my friend Chloe um, Radcliffe is a really like I mean she is a, she's ten or fifteen years younger than me like she's a wonderful stand up she's also like she is like clear eyed and hardworking in a in a way that I feel like I that I really admire like I'm like I see her doing the work but she's also she's not like a like I don't get, also get that sense that she's like she's doing it like with an integrity that I really admire. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. And you know what it like, what is, I should have come up with a less list of comedians that I really love because anytime anyone asks me that question, like every comedian's name just flies right out of my head. <laughs> yes. Um, but I think Taylor Tomlinson is, is great. Um, I really like, and she, you know, she's another one who's like, you know, she's young. Um, yeah. Jackie Cation. I love, uh, Joelle Johnson, who is also a friend and like very, very funny. And I like, I'm, I'm not meaning to be like, I'm name dropping. I just want to be like in full disclosure. Yeah. This is yes. like, um, I mean, uh, we really do live in, in like an embarrassment of, of riches comedically. Totally. Uh, I agree. I, I'm very, very happy about that. And like Jenny Garofalo obviously was like a, an early, she did this. Um, do you remember the MTV half hour comedy hour? Yeah. She yes. did that show, I think, a couple times, but I and I have not found I, I can't find this on YouTube. I'm gonna have to check again. But they had one like on location from spring break. And she did that, she was on it and she did some jokes about Geraldo, and the crowd hated her. And she was so defiant. I was like 14 when I saw this, and I was like, this is what I want. <laughs> like, it really, it, it was electrifying. Yeah. Do you think comedy has gotten easier for women? I think it's, yeah, I, I think it, I think it has gotten like, it, there's less of a sense of like, there can only be one. Um, I think that the comedy universe in general has like expanded and changed in, in, in so many ways, especially over the past, like, you know, 15 years, um, that really, I think it, it's the entire industry feels like it's a lot more open to voices like across the spectrum, which, you know, is fantastic. And yeah, so I think it's, uh, you know, it is less like you have to, and I mean, there's still boys clubby like type things and there's, yeah. there are concerns you know, the, the whole Louis CK thing, you know, like you still have to fight against, you know, shit like that. But yes, yeah. I think it has gotten easier. It's fascinating because, um, my kid's really into comedy. So we've been going to a lot of shows at Largo out here and mm. watching pretty big 
comedians work out their hours, mm -hmm. right? Right. And it's amazing what what it is to watch that craft, to watch them miss so many times. Like I saw Patton Oswald just miss, mm -hmm. just like, oh, right. this is going to take you 40 more times to work mm -hmm. out the cadence and the timing and the specificity. And when we watch comedy, at least I hadn't for years really realized the precision, just the, mm -hmm. the drop, like, and I imagine it's similar for captions in cartoons too. There's such a precision to it. Mm -hmm. Any, any, uh, just one word flipped can change the whole, can strengthen it so much. Right. Yeah. I, I wonder if that's an experience you have writing in that limited amount of space. That's, mm -hmm. that's a real craft. Just like for jokes. Sure. For sure. Yeah. And I think, I think that the, you know, the constrictions on the, you know, the gag form um, are, I, I sort of love it because you do have to be very, very precise and choosy about what you put into yeah. this, into this box, you know? And you know, like, like John Mulaney is somebody who I, I'm like, the, is such a, is like such a scalpel level. <laughs> like, um, yes. Mm -hmm. I've seen him work things out too. And, and flop. Yeah. Yeah. And it's crazy. Um, so yeah, with any, as with anything, it's just like, you know, sometimes you hit on something that works right away. And sometimes you're like, this isn't, this isn't quite it. This isn't quite it. What would, what would make this, what would really say? And like, it's like kind of when you know it, it's like you hear the crack of the bat, you know? or whatever yeah. internal like tuning fork. Um, but you know, with, with a comedian, like if you're doing stand up, it's like you, you have to use the audience to figure out if it works or not. Right. And so you basically do just have to be like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to eat some shit for a while and see, uh, which I think is a wonderful thing. Um, uh, Gaster Almonte, who is another like really fantastic comedian and a great storyteller. Um, he put something on Facebook a while back where, where he was like, you know, I had a really, really bad show last night. You know, like I just was not in the pocket. The crowd was not responding. And he's like, and I am so grateful for, for that show too, because that taught me just as much as a show that worked, you know? And I'm like, yes, that no. is, that's, <laughs> that's like an attitude to strive for. Yeah. And especially being older and getting to play that out again, like the Tig Notaro special where she's mm -hmm. like, you just watch her play out the losing her breast mm -hmm. joke and she doesn't land it until like the 40th right. time. But I think that thing of like that, that you have, that you're still trying at in like middle age to like perfect something is just so good for everything, for craft, for brain, for yeah. whatever. Anyway, Kim, go ahead, continue. I'm curious what some of the best professional advice you've ever received is. Ooh, huh. Let me come back to that. It, because, because I definitely have gotten good professional advice and people have been like helpful to me. I don't have one thing that really like sticks out as like, you know, um, something that like I keep in my pocket, you know? Yeah. Um, I think just being around p other people who are doing it or trying to do it, just like the energy of your peers um, and and the people that you look up to, I think is a really important thing to surround yourself with. I think I have heard and said many variations of the idea of whatever you're doing, don't be a dick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because... People, no matter how good you are at anything, if people don't want to, don't want to be around, like if people don't trust you or like you or want to be 
around you. Like, you know, nobody is good. Like really almost nobody is good enough to be an asshole. Yeah. Um, especially not when you like, when you are trying to break into any given industry, like, you know, be a joy to work with and be reliable. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think those two things count for, you know, like at least like more than talent, honestly, there's a lot of people who are talented. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I absolutely more than talent because actually there's a lot of people who are untalented and really nice and it goes a long way. <laughs> you know? yes. yeah. Our friend Ben says it pays to suck. It yeah. Helps to suck. It doesn't hurt to suck. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, you've done so much, Emily. What do you still want to do? Mm. Um, I want to, um, I don't want to be a showrunner, but I want to write on, I want to write for television. Um, I, I wrote, I was staffed on a, a, like a Steven Soderbergh web series, um, last year that came out like during the writer's strike. So I couldn't like, you know, talk too much about it publicly. Um, oh, wait, I think I saw that. Did I say yeah, it come out? Some. Yeah. I saw some. Yeah. 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 It's, it's out. It was, it was super, and it was the first time I'd ever been in a writer's room and I loved it. I really, really loved that experience. So, you know, like I have a couple of pilots that I'm working on, even less in with a mind towards like getting a TV show made and more as like a, like a way to be like, this is what I can do. Can I please write on your show? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I want that experience in part because I, again, I just really, really loved doing that and it was fun. And also I like money and I would like oh. to make some money. Yeah. But there's uh, not really money in that either. That's really the problem. All the money is just like, it's just like dry. It's just like drying up like the rest of the, the world. <laughs> truly, truly. I mean, I did, um, I sold, uh, I, I sold a show based on, um, mama tribe, which is like cartoons and essays about parenting. Um, I sold it like years ago and I mean like, you know, for nothing, it was like, you know, $2,000. Yeah. 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 Um, but I know development contract, deals are just, it's just a, yeah, yeah, exactly. Continue the contract. go. And we went fairly far down the, you know, down the process and like the contract that I signed, basically if the show had been made, you know, they were like, we're so sorry, this is not very much money. And I'm looking at, I'm like, I work in publishing. This is so much money. <laughs> um, and and part of that, like when I think about like, you know, if I had like, you know, like, you know, money to spare, what I do with Nels, I would, I eventually want to expand into a larger, um, you know, a larger institution. Like I, I want to be something similar to um, like the Center for Cartoon Studies in White River Junction, which is like, you know, kind of like a two year program for cartoonists yeah. or um, you know, like basically something where people can like come and learn, you know, comedy or satire or cartooning, you know, and yeah, that's my, my eventual goal is, um, to be the comedy slumlord of central Pennsylvania. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, when I, when I think, you know, but I think about money, both in terms of like, you know, the future and security and rent and everything. And also just like, you know, um, being able to sort of like expand this, this vision that I have for Nels. And I, you know, I, I would, I want to, I, I would like to die with a few more books under my belt. Yeah. <laughs> 
And yeah, I want to keep doing what I'm doing just more and better. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. You're amazing. Um, so first off, before we go, not first off, last off, before we go, I just want to say you're so beautiful. Like we have many, we have many DMs about like our necks and stuff. You're so pretty. You're just so pretty. I've never seen you. I've never seen you live like, like this. You're just very pretty. And I just want you to know that it doesn't matter. Sorry. Don't anybody get mad at me for this. But I just want Emily to know how gorgeous well, she is. We're never getting off this call. Exactly. You are, you are, you are luminescent. I don't ever want to hear a word again about your, your bag of skin. You are a gorgeous woman. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, um, where can people you find you? That. You're you are, very welcome. You are both also very beautiful. So there, uh, whatever, it doesn't matter, but where can people find you? Cause I want them to find you and look at, look upon your luminosity. <laughs> <laughs> well, my OnlyFans. Um, <laughs> um, no, my website is emilyflake.com, just E M I L Y F L A K E. Okay. Um, and that's that's the hub for for everything. And then uh, Saint Nels is S T N E L L S dot com. Then yeah, pretty much everything you, you need to know to get in touch with me is there. Thanks for listening to Everything is Fine. We're your hosts. I'm Jen Romolini. And I'm Kim France. If you like the show, please rate and review it across the platforms. It really helps people find the show, especially on Apple Podcasts. If you want to support the production of the show, we are on Patreon at patreon.com slash everything is fine. For $3 a month, you will see me blog sometimes. <laughs> you will hear special bonus episodes, but most importantly, you will help us keep the lights on of the show because that is how we pay for the production of the show. If you want to follow us on social media, we are on Facebook with a robust and private Facebook group. We are on Instagram at EIF Podcast. You can follow Kim on her Substack, kimfrance.substack.com. For beauty recommendations in my new job as beauty editor, I'm on Instagram at Jen Romolini's Vanity. And the show is mixed and edited by the great Natalie Rivera. Thank you, Natalie. And we'll be back next week. And also, we just hit 2 million downloads last week. I didn't Amazing. realize. Amazing. Is that or true? Like two, or like two weeks ago. Yes. We're, we have had 2 million downloads of this show. I cannot. Unbelievable. <laughs> Thank Unbelievable. You. Thank you, everybody, for listening and also to being here at the end of this and listening to the two million <laughs> announcement, which I should have done at the beginning. Um, we, we will be back next week. Thank you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 